welcome into the very first episode of the Five Foot Nothing, A Hundred Nothing podcast. I am your host, and I am Five Foot Nothing, A Hundred Nothing. Some of you know me on Twitter as MJPalk21, but I'm trying to get a new thing going. Five Foot Nothing, A Hundred Nothing pod. Search that on Twitter and, you know, let's, let's get some followers going. I know I got some friends out there that I hope will listen to this, enjoy it, uh, share it with their friends. You know, let's get a little bit of a, a following going for, for five foot nothing, a hundred nothing. I'm sure I'm not the only one out there. But, you know, 2021 was the time for me to start a podcast after the season, which that's how you do it. After the whole season's been played, you start a podcast. But after 2020, all the craziness that it was, I felt like, you know what, now or never, you know, that kind of mentality. So here we go. Let's jump into our our first episode, and in the words of Marty McFly, watch for the changes and try to keep up. I do want to start with a little bit of a a season wrap-up real quick, you know, just kind of talk about it, not game by game per se, but just in in a whole, in its entirety. You know, there were some uh, ups and downs, you know, we had to deal with COVID, obviously, you know, there were times where uh, Ian Book looked like a Heisman Trophy finalist and other games you weren't sure what was going on. Uh, a lot of questionable uh, decision-making. You don't know if that was play calling, you know, from a coaching perspective. Uh, Ian Book, own uh, choices, what he sees on the field. You know, I can't really speak to that per se because I don't know what was being called down to the, the team. You know, but we went undefeated. We had an awesome win against Clemson. I mean, could that have been a, a higher point? I mean, I've been a lifelong Notre Dame fan. I'm 36. I technically was alive for the last championship, but I was four years old. So I want to see something again. You know, I want to I want to see us raise that trophy. I want to see us win some some big time games. So season didn't end quite the way we wanted it to. It felt different this year. It really did, you know, um, just some uh, – the Clemson game, obviously, you know, and then uh, another supposedly test was going to be North Carolina, and we more or less embarrassed them. I mean, they couldn't do anything. It, it was tied at the half, and that was that was it. My favorite North Carolina point in the second half was oh, – I didn't have one. That's right. They had zero points in the second half. So things were looking great, you know. I mean, as a Notre Dame fan, you – you had to have been excited. And then we go to the ACC championship game, and it it felt too much same old, same old. Uh, not taking shots, playing conservative, playing not to lose versus playing to win. You know, and you look at the other teams that were going against Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama. They play the game to win. And I know that sounds silly, like Herm Edwards, we play to win the game. But you, you play to win the game. That's the idea. And if you're playing not to lose, or if you start playing at, at kickoff as if you've got a 10-point lead, eventually that comes up to catch you. And, you know, I can't say so much in the ACC championship game that we did that. You know, we went down, scored, got a pick, went down, and missed a field goal from 24 yards. I don't understand. Never kicked a football a day in my life. I played receiver, but I, I'm, I'd put some money on myself that I can make a 24-yard field goal. I really would. 
So whatever, Dora missed it, and it, that was it. Uh, it went downhill from there. And then the, the Rose Bowl, it, I didn't think we were going to win, you know, honestly. Uh, unfortunately, you know, you, you can't – you got to be realistic at times, and it, you can't go in there and go, oh, we're going to win because we're Notre Dame, and that's that. No, you need to see something that tells you you're going to win. And I, I wasn't so confident – but I would have liked to have seen some sort of, you know, aggressive play calling or something. No passes downfield. Um, in third and seven, or third and eight it was, uh, let's run a sweep with Ian Book. I don't know that that's the play you want to call there. It didn't make any sense because then it set us up for a fourth and seven and we punted. I I don't understand. Uh, we're at a position where you feel like you, you third and eight, you've got – Two plays to get eight yards, unless the first one gets you zero. Uh, it's very odd. Um, you know, but all in all, I, I have to say, people argue Alabama took their foot off the gas or whatever. Maybe, but I find it hard to believe that Alabama decided that in the Rose Bowl was when they were going to stop scoring 30, what, five points a game? They had more scored more than 35 in or 38 was it in 25 consecutive games and they decided the rose bowl against notre dame that's when we're we're going to ease up we're not going to get to our number i i don't believe that for a second i think notre dame did their part defensively to give us a chance and whether it's tommy reese whether it's ian book i i don't know but holy smokes we need to see a little bit of fireworks on this offense i don't understand like it, I said it during the season, and it still applies in the games that matter. You see some of the names on this offense. You've seen what they can do from highlights, and you're like, "All right, we're gonna see some fireworks," and you get a sparkler. That's not what I. That's not the football I want to see, because I see it everywhere else. You see it from North Carolina, and boom, we shut them down. But at least they're trying it. You know, Clemson does it. You, you watch these other teams, and you just know. Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, it, you, you're waiting for it. Like, oh, they're they're gonna hit a big one. Watch this. They're gonna go deep. They're gonna they're gonna get it, and they do. Why? What is our problem? We've got dudes. We've got dudes. We've been recruiting very well, not top five, but very well. And Notre Dame, I don't think they're gonna be ever top five recruiting people, because. Just the way it works, it's it's numbers, it's quantity versus quality. Notre Dame's still getting quality guys, we're getting quality dudes, but we're not getting the quantity. And unfortunately, that's kind of just the way it goes sometimes with that. But it was a disappointing end to the 2020 season, you know, but, you know, we got to look forward. And I have to say our future is... Brighter than it's been in a very, very long time, to my recollection. You know, I I think back to the last time Notre Dame legitimately was competing on the field, and it was <clears throat> the mid to late 90s, uh, specifically 93, obviously. Where I, I was nine, and I'm still trying to figure out how we weren't national champions. But that's that can be another pot, another episode, another day. But, yeah, it didn't end, uh, ideally. But as soon as the season ended, you know, we're already getting, oh, what's the problem? What's going on? And, you know, I keep referencing Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama. And that's for a reason. Uh, 
Yes, you could argue our coaching hasn't been elite. Uh, I'd argue there are other things that haven't been elite as much as I love Ian Book. He's a Notre Dame guy. He's a domer for life. He isn't exactly elite either. But the three teams I keep mentioning, I'm mentioning them for a specific reason. They are the only, the only three teams to have more wins than Notre Dame the last four seasons. So... For the ones that, oh, fire Kelly, fire BK, whatever, it, it's unrealistic to assume another coach could have done better or would have done better. It's, it's just fact. Like, it's fact. You can't win 43 games over four years and only three teams that are better than you, which are right now the gold standard of college football, Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson, and think, oh, wow, somebody else can, needs to come in here and do better. And... You know, I mentioned it kind of in a second ago. Recruiting challenges are are real. I, I hate to harp on it. I don't want to sound like I'm making excuses or otherwise. But, uh, you know, sometimes facts are facts. And the recruiting challenges Notre Dame faces just aren't the same at Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama. It's, it's unfortunate, but it's true. You know, but let's be real. Brian Kelly has a setup better than any coach has since Lou Bleepin Holtz. Since Lispy Lou, he's got us where we feel like we want to be. We're beating everybody we're supposed to beat. And that's an awesome feeling. Not once this year, we had a couple tight ones. Let's be honest. We had a couple tight games. And outside of the last two, I feel I didn't feel any point oh we're gonna lose this game even the Clemson November 7th game when we had a lead and it went away we're tied back and forth I still felt like hey we're gonna pull this out like I I wasn't hand you know facing my hands hunched over like oh here we go again sort you know start burning down the bridges not at all and I still the last two games I don't know that we were we weren't the better team like that's 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 real. We're not the better team, but I felt like we didn't even really give ourselves a chance to be the better team in in the play calling and decision making and some of those things. You know, I don't know um, what what it is specifically, but I think maybe Reese and Kelly know what book is and know what book isn't, and kind of built the offense and tailored it around those skills and in some cases lack thereof, but. I don't think Kelly could have done any better uh, than what he's done now. Or let me afraid. He could have done better, obviously. He won a championship and so on. But to assume someone else could have done better, I, I don't buy it. I really don't. Unless you're somehow all of a sudden Nick Saban's walking through the door, Urban Meyer's coaching uh, the gold helmets on the sidelines. It, we, we should be very satisfied and happy with where we're at to an extent because now we are rolling into this opportunity that like I said is bigger than I've seen in a very long time and right out of the box soon as the season ended Clark Lee was gone we knew that Clark Lee was going and he went to Vanderbilt and good for him he went to Vanderbilt he's a Nashville dude you know that, that's great I, I get it you know uh we can't feel bad because all the stars align for that to be the spot for him. He turned down Boston College last year. So 
that tells you that he was only leaving for an ideal opportunity. And it, it for Clark Lee, it doesn't get more ideal than his alma mater in his hometown. I mean, come on. we got to accept that, understand it, and, and wish him the best. He did great things for us. He set us up for the opportunity to get who we got, Mr. Marcus Freeman. And how awesome is that? Because LSU was after him. There were reports that LSU hired him. And then that was kind of funny. A lot of freezing cold takes there and a lot of quote t- tweeting of LSU fans and you know making them look foolish. And uh, trust me, I love to quote cheat. Qu- quote, that's a hard thing to say. Quote tweet. Um, I'll keep receipts on anybody. I'll, I'll, I'll eat the crow too. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Throw it back at me. I'll, I'll take my lumps and I'll take them like a man. All five foot nothing, hundred nothing of me. I will take it. But trust me, I keep receipts. <laughs> Don't say something stupid because you're going to eat it later. But uh, getting Marcus Freeman was so huge. And I, I really believe Clark Lee had a lot to do with that because Clark Lee recruited dudes people want to coach. Like, maybe you guys know of him. Uh, he wears number 14, Kyle Hamilton. Yeah, he's pretty good. And there's guys who want to coach guys like that. We just had Jeremiah Owusu-Karamoa. Yeah, he's going to the pros, as he should. But if we're getting dudes like that, coaches want to come coach those guys. And, again, there's only three teams that have won more games than Notre Dame. To say Notre Dame's not a top program is completely ridiculous. It's asinine. It really is. To think Notre Dame's not one of the top five programs right now is is foolish. It's Notre Dame haters, and we, we know we love them. Oh, they're fantastic, aren't they? They'll bend everything they can think of into a pretzel to make it so that their narrative somehow fits in the, the squarest hole that you can dream of. And that's just the way they are. It's, it is what it is. But we're a top five program. So bringing in Marcus Freeman is fantastic. Initially, I'll be honest, I thought of like an internal hire. That would be good, right? We did it with Clark Lee, and we're not complaining. You know, We did it with Tommy Reese. I think Jerry's still out on that. Um, I, I really think Ian Book had a lot to do with some of the things we were seeing, you know. So let let's give Reese an opportunity to work with uh, a quarterback like oh I don't know Tyler Buckner, five star, supposed to be a badass. Let's see what he can do with his uh, skill set. You know, I'd like to see that. But uh, back to Freeman, the the guy is extremely accommodating and adaptable based on his personnel. Now, I don't know how much you guys know or have heard, but some things that I've heard. Cincinnati last year was running, you know, some multiples, you know, some 4-3, some 3-4. Well, they went against University of Central Florida, who who we love, you know, UCF, your championship's fake. Love those guys. Um, but let's be honest, for the American Athletic Conference, they got a high-powered offense. And Marcus Freeman decided, you know what, we're going to go 3-3-5. Three, three, that's how we're going to stop a team like this. And they did, and they won. And Freeman saw how effective it was, and that became his base defense in Cincinnati. Does that mean that's what he's going to bring to Notre Dame? I don't believe so. I don't know that we have well, – let me be fair, I know we don't have that. We don't have five DBs that can play on the field all the time. I hate to laugh and you know, kind of be snark about it, but fucking it's true. My God, our secondary needs a lot of work. I mean, shit, when, when Sean Crawford's our safety, love Sean Crawford, he's, he's another domer for life, love him, but dude was 
on our team for seven years. You know, Tommy Boy. A lot of guys go to college for seven years. I know, they're called doctors. But he, he was back there, and he's not a safety. He's not. He's small. He's undersized. He did not want to play the football at all. I couldn't understand that for the life of me. In fact, I called him, not him directly. I used his name. I didn't tag him. I was careful about that. But I called him out for his lack of ball hawking. And he liked my tweet. And did he change his thing? No. He kept doing the same old, same old. So, But when Sean Crawford is beating out dudes who are supposed to be playing safety as a former cornerback, we have secondary issues. So a 3-3-5, I don't see being our off our defense. It's not, not going to be our base defense. Um, now, if we can recruit the dudes that can play that, you know, maybe they're incoming freshmen right now. You know, Philip Riley, Ryan Barnes, and so on. You know, it's feasible, obviously. But uh, the point I'm making is Freeman will see what we've got, find the personnel that works, and make the defense fit those dudes. You know, for example, a guy like Prince Kali. A lot of I'm excited to see this dude play. Oh, man, I, I love he's going to be a linebacker because he ran for, like, 1,500 yards as a running back, and now he's going to play linebacker? So you got a linebacker who has the ability to run for 1,500 yards? My goodness, sign me up. So I feel like he was going to come in. Now, is he going to play as a true freshman? That's Time will tell on that. Um, I think he's going to get some some playing time for sure. Now, how much? I don't, I don't know. That remains to be seen. Uh, but I think he fits that – that JOK role very well. I think he's going to come in and be that type of player for us. And that's fantastic. So, you know, I'm really not too concerned about what Freeman is going to do with the defense in terms of, oh, what to expect. I think you should expect the unexpectable. I really feel like that. If he can take multiple defenses and tailor it to what he's got. Notre Dame's schedule is different than anybody else's schedule in the country. And and F everybody is like, oh, it's cupcake schedule, this, that, and the other, my ass. But, uh, you know, sticking on the whole Freeman thing, you know, we're going to play Navy. Triple option. We all know how much we hate that game. Uh, not, not like I love the tradition. I love the whole thing. I love the backstory. Fantastic. But from a football only, you know, inside the the lines perspective, it's not the best. It's a weird offense to go against. They have the potential to hurt our dudes. We need to have more people in rotation. It just, it's not ideal, right? But then we got to play out. We got to play a team like USC, who always has talent and can do a lot of things, and you know, fire it all over the place. So we got to prepare for that. But then we get your typical, you know, smash mouth football with like a Stanford or Wisconsin, and you know, so and not to mention the, the ACC stuff. You know, who knows what Florida State's going to be? You know, uh, we don't have to play uh, Clemson this year, thankfully. Don't worry, they're coming back to back years and. 22 and 23, don't worry. <laughs> but uh, the fact that we play multiple styles of offense, I think Marcus Freeman's going to have us ready to go. And I am pumped about it. You know, so in sticking on coaching, I want to jump into our offense a little bit. And not all of our offense, 
I would like to talk about our wide receiver group because they are going to be bigger than ever this year. And I really, really believe that for a few reasons. Number one, we know what Kyron Williams can do. We know what Chris Tyree can do. Okay, we're set at running back. I'm, I'm fine with those two. They, they can just rotate those two. We don't necessarily need, need a third guy. I mean, obviously, you do need a third guy, but uh, Williams and Tyree are going to be special, and I, I'm excited that they're here for a little bit longer, right? But looking at the wide receiver group, that was um, – yeah, I don't even know of a, a word that's not insulting to use to our wide receiver group from 2020, but I, a, lot, a lot was left to be desired. Let's just put it that way. It should have been better. You know, so you look at what we got coming back. And here's the thing. I'm going to list off the names, and you tell me how, how productive you think they were. We got returning Kevin Austin, Braden Lindsay, Avery Davis. I think they had I, – and I'll, I'll be honest. I didn't do this, the research, and maybe I should have for my podcast. But uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say they had a combined 20 catches on the year. You know, maybe. Uh, it was – Kevin Austin didn't play. He had, I think he had one catch. Um, Lindsey was hurt. Um, you know, Austin broke his foot, tried to come back, broke it again. Um, Lindsey, all the hype around him, his speed, he does this, he does that. He barely played, hardly played. Avery Davis, oddly, an amazingly pleasant surprise. I, He's been bounced all over our team positionally like a ping pong ball. Uh, we just been smacking him around and, you know, he landed a wide receiver and he was so great. I, I'm actually excited to have him back. Um, it, there's a level of comfort with him, you know, Austin and Lindsay, I'd love to say the same, but uh, fact of the matter is you got to be out there. You got to produce, um, you know, it looks fantastic on paper, but you know, they, they don't hand out awards for potential. They, they hand out awards for actual physical production, you know, but then you look at guys like who I know I mentioned him. I know a lot of you mentioned him, Mr. Jordan Johnson. I don't know what the story is. I don't understand why he was given zero opportunities in a year where eligibility was waived. He could have played every snap of every game on both sides of the football, and he would still have four years of eligibility. I'm not understanding why he wasn't given a chance to do something Especially at receiver. You know, I played receiver. And listen, I can understand there's there's route trees that are harder than others. And, you know, you got to be able to read the, the secondary as well as the quarterback. That's how you end up on the same page or negatively on different pages because you read it differently than he did and so on. But there are also routes that are – those are the routes. Run a post. Run a, a go. Run, like, you know, a 15-yard out, whatever. I just don't understand how – a guy who supposedly has five-star abilities couldn't get on the field for a handful of plays just to run even one route. And it's it was weird. Let's just call it what it is. It was weird. But then you got Xavier Watts, who was, what, high three-star, four-star? Um, Deion Colton, this was the now freshman going to be sophomores. But the incoming freshman, Deion Colsey, four-star. Uh, Lorenzo Styles, four-star. And those names... Uh, from recruiting side of things, if they're not productive, we're going to have problems. 
And I don't mean in terms of winning games or, you know, things like that. I mean the way the transfer portal is, the way transfers go nowadays, they're going to be gone because they're going to want to be on a team that throws the football where they have an opportunity to show their skills for the next level. Uh, we're at a place where you come, if you're a four- or five-star player, you come to shine to go to the next level. The next level is the NFL. Majority of, well, not majority, Notre Dame's a little bit different, but a lot of these four- and five-star dudes aren't coming to Notre Dame because it's Notre Dame. It's not They didn't grow up like I did or a lot of you listeners out there did. They didn't grow up going, oh, man, the Golden Dome, Notre Dame, Touchdown Jesus, uh, the house that rock built. I I need to go there. No, they can't. They're coming here because we're winning football games, and they look around and see all the Notre Dame names that have gone on to the NFL and go, you know what? That could be me. But if we're not giving them opportunities to show the NFL that they're good, why are they going to stick around? So, if Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watts aren't getting opportunities next year, and maybe a little bit of Deion Colsey and Lorenzo Styles, you know, as nice as that wide receiver group sounds, which uh, you know, hit me up on Twitter if you think there's a better group of receivers as a whole. I'm not saying the top is, you know, right now I guess maybe the top would maybe be, you know, potential-wise Jordan Johnson. Maybe it's Kevin Austin, but uh, probably Johnson. But I can't remember a time where, as a whole, collectively, our wide receiver room looked like this. You know, you might have a couple guys, you know, we had – I think Floyd Tate and Samarja on the same team. I think. But after that, who who was it? I don't know. There's there's nobody's. These, these are names from top to bottom. We got seven dudes. They can play receiver very well, supposedly. I'd love to see it. And let's give them a chance to see it. Let's get let I wanna see it. Let's give them a chance. Come on. How hard is it? It's not. You know, my favorite my favorite player of all time is the Rocket. Rock, Rakib the Rocket Ismail. And you know what? The year he almost won the Heisman, he only caught. I don't even think he caught 30 passes. But you know what? We gave him a chance. We took shots. And, man, that dude made some highlight real plays. That's what it's about, getting your playmakers the ball. They can't do shit without the football. I promise you. If you don't give your playmakers the football – it's fantastic. They're on the field. They're wearing a jersey. That's wonderful. Love it. You know, like Michael Mayer. <sighs> Michael Mayer. Oh, my God. Michael Myers. This dude is a beast. He's a – oh, my God, he's so good. If you go back and watch that Alabama Rose Bowl game, he was beating his dude every fucking time. We should have been throwing him the ball every other play. Every other play. The touchdown that called, got called back, which was BS, whatever. It, it's a penalty, sure, but it, it had zero impact on the outcome of the play. It was insane. He smoked the safety. Smoked him with a double move. M- Michael Mayer is beating dudes on the regular, and he's a freshman. Dude's 18 years old. There's no reason not to give him the ball. And I think this is going to apply to Jordan Johnson, Xavier Watts, Maybe even Deion Cosley. You know, it is some of these names. Austin and Lindsay, I think, fall into this category too. They got to stay healthy, though. Got to stay healthy. Got to be on the field. You know, that's their thing right now. But give them a chance. 
my goodness. And, you know, I think they're going to be bigger because um, Tommy Tremble went to the NFL. And, you know, real quick on Tommy Tremble, you know, there's some people saying that he shouldn't have done that. You know, what's he doing? He's got to stick around another year, uh, develop more and so on and so forth. Um, And and I, I think so. But I think when you're saying that, you're being selfish and thinking of Notre Dame, which is fine. This is going to be a Notre Dame centric podcast and it's going to be talking about Notre Dame a lot. So yes, I would have loved to have Tommy Tremble back. That would have been amazing. He benefits our Notre Dame football team tremendously. But from Tommy Tremble's point of view, his stock may not go up like we want to conclude that it will. Why? Because the guy I've just been talking about and raving about and hit my desk about, Michael Mayer, he's going to be behind him. That's a given. And the only the only place Tremble can improve upon is his receiving tight end. We know. The NFL knows. Everybody who's played against Tommy Tremble knows. MFR can block. Dude can block. He will come and put you on your ass because he wants to. And he enjoys it. That's fun for him. So that's... A, a give, we know what he can do there. So he's got to get better as a receiving tight end. Okay, how are you going to do that? Have balls thrown to you. How are you going to do that if you're not the main receiving tight end when Michael Mayer has proven to be that over the course of this year? So I don't blame Tremble for going pro. I don't. I think that's in his best interest. And that's why you come to Notre Dame when you're that type of player. You come there to be on NBC on Saturdays and go pro and you can play on uh, Fox or CBS on Sundays. That's the plan, right? You know, so with him leaving, because he was a legitimate receiving threat, very athletic, uh, you know, it did a lot of good things for us. But I don't know that George Takis and uh, Bauman, I don't know if they're going to come in and kind of replace Tommy Tremble. We're going to have a bunch of two, re- two tight end sets, meaning instead of a second tight end, now we have an additional receiver on the field. So, again, this wide receiver group has to produce. We have to give them chances to produce. They, they go together. You know, they have to show they can do it, but in order to see it, we have to give them opportunities to show it. It's it's a fun little conundrum, isn't it? But I, I really, man, I'd love to see our wide receiver group go off. The downside is, you know, uh, I, have to, I haven't even talked about Jack Cohn yet, which uh, I'll jump on that real quick because it goes obviously in line with the offensive side of the football. Jack Cohn is nice. There's a, a, some pros and cons and things about him coming to Notre Dame. The one is it gives us a very clear-cut, veteran, established quarterback on our team. He took Wisconsin to the Rose Bowl. He's been in big games. He has had production. But it's hardly Baker Mayfield transferring from Tech or Jalen Hurts transferring from Alabama or Joe Burrow transferring from Ohio State to the schools they ended up at, you know. It, it's just, it's not that. I mean, let's be honest. That's not what Jack Cohn is. He can't run. Uh, I think in one year, he, uh, his junior year at Wisconsin, his 30 or whatever it was, he had negative 24 yards on the season rushing. You know, that's 
that's not where we're, we're used to a quarterback that's a little bit elusive because we've been at, with Ian Book for the last three years. Jack Cohn ain't bringing that to the table right now. Um, but the other thing is you look at his uh, passing statistics. He's been very accurate, like almost 70% completion percentage. But he's not even – he's thrown for like 195 yards a game. Now, Wisconsin runs the ball more than they pass, so there's something to be said about that. So maybe he's got some gunslinger in him. Um, but looking statistically and things, I, I don't see it. So, you know, that's a downside, which, you know, hopefully doesn't hurt the growth of our receiving group. I really – that would be a negative. But I will spin this to say him not being Baker Mayfield or Jalen Hurts or Kyler Murray or Joe Burrow, any of these transfers that lit the world on fire. Um, The pro to him not being that is if Tyler Buckner is ready, there's no reason not to play him. Because it's not like, again, it's not like Jack Cohn is any of those dudes where you're like, oh, I can't put... Tyler on the field. Jack Cohn is our starter. No, uh, Jack Cohn is very capable of being our quarterback, but he's also capable of being beat out. And if our TB12, I know we wore 12 in high school. Let's see if he sticks with 12 in college. That would be convenient. 12 will still be the number of our quarterback, and his name is Tyler Buckner TB. We can hashtag TB12 all day, and people think they're looking up Tom Brady. That will be fun. Um, <laughs> but uh, if he can beat out Cohn, man, Perfect. Perfect. Number one, we know Kelly ain't afraid to switch quarterbacks. I mean, come on. He's done it a million times to quarterback controversies left and right. You know, uh, and I'm not going to list all the ones. You know who they are. You know we started with one, finished with another, went into a season thinking it was one guy, started to end up being a different guy. I, If Buckner's ready, bu- uh, Kelly will play him. If Buckner is ready, Kelly will play him. But that's on Buckner to prove it, okay? It's not like, oh, I'm Brian, as Brian Kelly, I got to play the, the freshman. He's the five-star. I got to get him on the field. Well, no, not if he's not ready. That's the worst thing you can do. You know, you, you don't want to put him on the field if he's not ready because if he gets his ass handed to him, his confidence certainly isn't going up. It's going to go down. That's just – that's sports. I mean, if you get your head knocked in, you don't want to come back for more. So – um if he's ready, put his ass in the field. If he's not, that's okay. Cone is serviceable, you know. But the thing about Buckner being ready or not ready, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about schedule stuff uh, right now. But you know, talk about Buckner being ready or not ready. Jump ahead to 2022. We open up at Ohio State in Columbus in the Horseshoe against the Ohio State University. If that's books, or I book, how, how often am I going to do that? They both start with a B. That'll be fun. <laughs> if it's Buckner's first start, where, where's your confidence that we're going to go in and win that game? I mean, be realistic. Let's be realistic about it. Where is your confidence level that Tyler Buckner, redshirt freshman, never started a game in his life, first one's going to be in Columbus, in the horseshoe, against Ohio State, and we're going to come out with a W. I don't think that's ideal. So I feel like Buckner needs to beat out Cone at some point in the season just to get the that out of him, you know? 
Um, and I, if it's game one, then, you know, so that's 22. And, you know, we also got Clemson uh, at home. But then 23, we got Clemson at Clemson, but we get Ohio State at home. Yeah, 2022-2023 is going to say a lot about, I think, uh, well, that season specifically. But what Buckner is or isn't, you know, um, I'm not saying we have to win all four of those games. Uh, I think we need to win at least one, right? At least one of those games. Uh, I'd love to win two. I'd love to win all four. But I just, you know, as we saw this year, it's hard to beat a team twice, especially a team like Ohio State or Clemson with their track record, right? So, but uh, if Buckner's ready this year, you know, put him on the field. That'll be help us set up for 2022-2023 and, um, you know, get him going in the right direction. You know, but uh, that's next year, or that's two years. <laughs> but let's look at 2021, okay? First of all, Notre Dame came out in the way too early top 25, ranked number 15. Now, I know a lot of you were going, oh, my God, 15, how, how disrespectful. How could you trash our Notre Dame fighting Irish like that? What are you thinking? 15, oh, my God. Well, let's <laughs> let's look at this from a non-Notre Dame perspective. Take off the Shamrock sunglasses and look at it this way. We lost four of our five starters on the offensive line. We lost our career uh, winningest quarterback. We lost our starting two receivers. Like, there are so many things to replace. We lost the uh, Butkus Award winner at linebacker. So many things to replace. And, you know, this is where Notre Dame's history bites them in the ass. We don't have a history of reloading. We don't. We don't have that history like Clemson does or Alabama does or Ohio State does. We just don't, you know. So we got to go out and prove it. Okay, let's let's go out and prove it, you know. So I I really don't have with, with two things. One, I don't have an issue with the 15 ranking. I think it makes sense. Uh, maybe it's a little too low. I thought we'd be closer to 10. I didn't think we'd be inside the top 10. So, I mean, is 12 different than 15? Yes, but not really. So I don't have a huge problem with that. But also, I have a huge problem with preseason top 25 rankings to begin with. Because, and this will be, you know, words will be said on this uh, podcast. You know, when you're five foot nothing, 100 nothing, you get a little angry sometimes. And, you know, th- this might be one of those times. Because preseason rankings mean absolutely fucking nothing. My God, they mean nothing. Um, they they know what they mean. They mean ESPN and ABC and whoever the hell else can say we got a top ten matchup. Yeah, well, whatever. Let's see what it look like at the season's end. Like for example, the top ten preseason way too fucking early. Top twenty five: Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, Georgia, Ohio State, A and M, North Carolina, Iowa State, USC, Indiana. Indiana's fucking number ten. Come on, like you serious? Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Yeah, so (laughs) (laughs) that's your top ten, dudes. Come on, guys. North Carolina, Iowa State, Indiana, A&M. A&M, you know, maybe they're on the the uptick. Who knows? But North Carolina, Sam Howell's back. Yeah, maybe. You got uh, USC's nine. Okay, Iowa or uh, Indiana. And then 11 is Cincinnati. Cincinnati's number 11. 
This is what the preseason top 25 looks like, guys. Come on. Oh, yeah, and fun fact. Notre Dame plays cupcakes, right? We're all in agreement here? Notre Dame plays cupcakes. We play a bunch of uh, pussies. We play a week schedule. Our schedule is trash. Well, as much as I'm going to bash the top 25, way too early top 25, because I don't think there's a lot of weight that it holds, but fine. Let's, let's, let's pretend it holds a lot of weight. Let's, let's go down that road. Notre Dame plays cupcakes, huh? Hmm. I'm just, I'm going by the preseason top 25, okay? Notre Dame will play the number seven team, the number nine team, the number 11 team, the number 17 team. And that's it. Okay. So we got four top 25 teams. Oh, three of them are ahead of us, by the way. Yeah, just throwing it out there. But yeah, we play a bunch of man, it's cupcakes, man. Your schedule sucks. What's a bunch of trash? Are you fucking kidding me? We play a real schedule every year. Get over it. Suck it up. Deal with it. Take your medicine. So, so we're playing four top 25 teams, right? Let's look at our schedule. We open up at Florida State in Tallahassee. Now, Here's the thing with that. I I think I want to jump into schedule stuff. I do, but um, I think, you know, I think here's a good place to stop my, my first episode. Uh, you know, we're going on like 45 minutes or so. That feels like a good place to kind of wrap it up, get my first episode bearings <laughs> under me. But I, I do want to come back in, in a few days. I do want to just kind of go in depth because that's what that's the thing. I want to talk about the schedule uh, kind of game by game, you know, to a degree. Uh, I'm not going to spend an hour talking about the uh, schedule, but I do want to, you know, give, give it a, a few minutes. I don't want to rush through it, you know, and some other things that kind of fall in line with the schedule and, and what our season could be. So, uh I will end it here, and for all those that uh, took the time to listen to me rant and rave and talk Notre Dame football, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Please go and uh, follow me at my new handle at Five Foot Nothing Pod. You know, uh, I'm I'm going to still use the MJ Pal Twenty One. Obviously, that's how a lot of you know me, but um, I am going to be. You know, uh, within that account, highlighting a lot of my uh, five foot nothing podcast stuff. So the at five foot nothing pod, and uh, thank you for listening. Five foot nothing, a hundred nothing podcast, episode one, in the books. I'm out.